What a privilege to open up God's Word this morning. Today, we're talking about divorce. And I do not know anyone who has not been affected by divorce in one way or another. A divorce is rampant. Divorce is accepted as the norm. And many people have been hurt by it. God says don't do it. God says stay together. God says be faithful, be committed, but still people divorce. And we have to deal with the consequences. Now for some, I realize this topic is like ripping off a scab or a, a, a band-aid and it is very painful and it brings back painful memories, maybe from the past or even that are fresh. And I understand that. And, and it's tough to address this issue without condoning inappropriate uh, choices nor, or condemning those who have made those choices. Um, it must be approached with understanding. It must be approached with a desire to glorify God and to love people. We do need to ask these questions of how we can, can navigate through divorce, how we can deal with divorce with the right answers and biblical answers and, and how do we approach people and, and help people who have been through it or even are going through it. So I want you to take your Bibles and, and turn to Matthew chapter 19 and please stand with me to read God's Word. And, and what we're going to be praying for as we read and as we go through this sermon is, is this. We need, at all moments, and especially with topics like this, we need God's comforting presence. We need his, his perspective on the truth, and we need his power to do what he says. We're going to read Matthew 19, verses 1 through 9. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thankful for you and your presence and your word. Lord, we acknowledge and I acknowledge that this topic is painful for many, brings back memories. It is tough to address without condoning inappropriate divorce or condemning those who are divorced. But Lord, give us understanding. Give us a desire to glorify you and to love people. And Lord, we, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that, that we have your perspective on the matter. And we pray, Lord, today for your power 
to do what you say. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have all been touched by divorce. We have all been impacted by divorce. We have all been influenced by divorce. We have all been hurt by divorce. We have all been shocked by it at times. And we are all working through the damage that divorce has caused. Now sometimes, for some people, it seems like the pain won't end. It seems like the memories will never fade. Uh, the memories of arguments, the memories of division, and, and the lack of peace. We know we need peace. We know we need a fresh dose of, dose of truth to counteract the lies that, that we have been told. First question we must ask today, though, is how did Jesus start talking about divorce here in chapter 19 of Matthew's Gospel? How did Jesus get about to talking about divorce? He had been instructing his disciples about the church, about his covenant community, life in that community. And he gets asked a question from his opponents. That's how he started talking about divorce, because they were talking about divorce. They brought him a question designed to catch him in some error. Go with me to verse 1. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. It was in a place called Perea. He stayed there a few months. And from there he would go to the cross. He would take his final journey to Jerusalem. He had been talking about a lot of things. Humility, and repentance, and forgiveness. His amazing love shown through his church. Verse 2 tells us that large crowds followed him and he healed them there. He is still instructing his disciples. He is still on the same context he was in chapter 18. Before the cross, about the church, different location, same emphasis. There are two obvious truths I want to point out that are made clear again and again in the Gospels regarding Jesus. They're found in verse 2. First of all, Jesus draws a crowd of followers. Wherever Jesus goes, a crowd follows. Hopefully to become disciples. The other thing we see is that Jesus ministers to people's needs for the glory of God. Here it says that he healed them there. They came to him, they followed him, and he healed them. There are a lot of people in need of healing today, especially from divorce. The point of the interaction that the Pharisees initiated with Jesus, though, is whether it is all right for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all, for, for no reason, basically. Is it okay, they're asking him, to do this, to, to divorce at a whim? Is it all right? It's much like the no-fault divorce that could be obtained in America in all 50 states and in the District of Columbia. From the 1970s and from 1985 on, you can divorce for any reason at all. Before then, it was, it was tougher to get a divorce. You had to, to show wrongdoing on the part of one or both of, of the couple. But today, it is no fault. This is just like what we're experiencing today. What was going on in the first century was just like what we have today. I mean, this hits home. No-fault divorce. Divorce for any reason at all. And Jesus' answer, and to boil his answer down to one statement, it's found in verse 6. 
When he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no one separate. I say that at the end of every wedding ceremony that I'm privileged to officiate at. It's a bit of an old school line, and I say it because Jesus said it. And it's binding. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, a lot of people would call themselves Christians and, and at the same time justify divorce for no reason at all. And then say that God gave them a peace about the matter, that it was His will, that it was the best thing to do for everyone involved. So it is very important for us to grasp what Jesus is saying here so we don't fall into the same trap of justifying sinful choices under the assumption that somehow God blesses those choices or somehow that God is pleased with those choices. We need to listen to Jesus. Jesus is really clear here and, and he's, he's making his point uh, up against the backdrop of these, these Pharisees that come to him trying to test him. Verse 3 says, They came up to him, testing him by asking. So the question is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, for any reason at all? They were trying to trip him up. They, it's as if they couldn't ask Jesus a question without wrong motives. That's what it seems like with the Pharisees. It's like every time they come to Jesus, there's wrong motives attached to their questions. And so this is a test question. Now, you're in school, and, and your teacher is speaking, and, and you might ask the question, is this going to be on the test? That would be a good question. Here, it's a test question designed to trip Jesus up. They were involving him in a quandary, in a catch-22. It, it was a, they were trying to come up with a fight that he couldn't win. They knew it was a sticky situation, and it was a dilemma to, designed to harm Jesus with the people. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason at all? The question had to do with first century Jewish practices regarding marriages. In that day, much like ours, they had disregarded the clear teaching of Scripture in favor of what some popular rabbis taught. The topic of divorce was a hotly debated subject. There was the more strict and conservative Rabbi Shammai who, who taught, and by the way, he was less popular than the other uh, pri- uh, prominent rabbi, he taught that a man could only divorce his wife for unchastity. But that if she committed it, she, he had to divorce her. Now there was the less uh, popular view there that was being um, Given, but there was a more popular view. It was the liberal uh, popular view because it, it allowed divorce for any reason at all. It was Rabbi Hillel, and he taught easy divorce for any reason. A man could divorce his wife for anything, even if she burnt his food, even if he found someone more attractive than she, someone he liked better. He could just divorce her. So against that backdrop, here is Jesus' comeback answer in verses 4 through 6. And by the way, his answer highlights the importance, the, the sanctity of marriage. He's not addressing divorce yet. He's going he's to talk about marriage here. 
It's a testimony, by the way, to the goodness and the, and the justice of God that once again, Jesus sets right what mankind has made crooked. He is here going to protect women from unfair treatment, which was going on in those days and still goes on today. He is going to protect them from unfair treatment and uphold the clear teaching of Scripture. So there's, the first thing he says about marriage, and you can find it in verse 4, is that marriage is a relationship rooted in creation. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. Verse 4. He says, have you not read? You know, it's, it's in the scriptures. It's really clear. Haven't you read it? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? We need to go to Genesis chapter 1 for this. We need to go all the way back to the beginning. So you see where this verse is being quoted from. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Marriage is a relationship rooted in creation. Jesus says, look, it's pretty clear. It's in the Bible. Haven't you read it? It's as if Jesus is saying, talk about rabbinical teaching. Talk about your, your, your traditions regarding how to excuse divorce. But you're asking the wrong question. It's not about how can I get out of something. It's about why I should stay in something. The God designed marriage itself, and he, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Uh, that trumps everything. Jesus is basically saying the more original, the weightier. And you can't get more original than creation. He's saying, you know, you're fixated on how to appease your selfish desires. Uh, You can get away with whatever you want and justify it as all right. What he's saying is you should be focused on the standard that God has set. A relationship rooted in creation. Some of you may have original artwork in your home. And it might even be signed by the original artist. It's not a a print it's not a copy it's the real thing and they're much more valuable they're weightier well jesus is pointing to the original design signed by the author this is god's design marriage it's rooted in creation verse 5 he is pointing to the fact that what god designed is a god ordained unity he says in verse 5 therefore A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We've got to go back to Genesis for this one too. But this time go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. I want you to notice something important here. That this is what God said. This is, Jesus is saying, God said this. If you have your finger back there in Matthew 19, look again at verse 5. It says, and said. So he answered them, verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said. Genesis 2.24 is not attributed to any writer. Here is one more example of the authority of Scripture as being God's word and not man's. Jesus himself said, God said this. And what did God say? Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This was before the fall, before they were tainted by sin. And he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to. Um, the old word is cleave. Leave and cleave. Cleave literally means to, to be glued together, to stick together like glue. Can't be pulled apart. And basically what Jesus is saying is, a man is to leave his family of origin, his father and his mother, and then be joined to his wife in creating a new family. And then his, his loyalty will be now to his wife, first and foremost. They are still called to honor their father and their mother, even caring for them in their old age. But first and foremost, the two will now become one. He is to receive his wife as a gift from God. And the two become one flesh, a union, a, a unity physically and emotionally and, and spiritually. Two distinct people, but in God's eyes, a team together. You know, we see this in a, in a wedding ceremony. In a wedding ceremony, we pronounce the couple husband and wife. And, and at that moment, when, when they have taken their vows and, and they're, they're married, they walk in the door single, they leave married. That, that union takes place. But if you're married, what you realize is you spend your whole life trying to experience that unity. It is true at the moment you get married, but... It takes a lifetime, and most people never get there. But why is it that we go to older couples who have more wisdom? Because they've gone through the test of time, and if they're still married, they're able to, to share what it takes to stay married. There's a lot of understanding, and a lot of forgiving, and a lot of, a lot of uh, compassion that's necessary. It's, it's somewhat similar in, in idea to the process of salvation. When you come to faith in Christ, you are, you are justified, you are made right with God by faith in Christ. But then you, you begin a lifetime of God conforming you to the image of Christ, of sanctifying you, of making you more like Him. Marriage is a God-ordained unity, and it is to reflect the glorious unity of the triune God. It is to reflect God's original design and intent. The husband and the wife become one. By the way, that word one in Genesis is the same word one that we find in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. The Lord your God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. A, a unity. Same word. And so marriage is a God-ordained unity that reflects God's glorious unity. Moving on to verse 6. Jesus then points out that marriage is a lifelong commitment. A lifelong commitment. So they are no longer two but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Why? Because God joined it together. Note it's what he joined together, not whom he joined together, as is often said. The marriage relation God has made, he has joined together, by the way, means yoked together. Common picture in ancient Greek. It's, it's written here in the timeless aorist indicative, which means it's always true. It is always true that God has put uh, marriage together. If you're married and you are, you're a Christian, it is marriage, Christian marriage is, is really a wonderful opportunity for, for discipleship, to follow Christ together. Many times it is a battleground But it is a wonderful opportunity for discipleship, for discipling one another, for following Jesus together. That your spouse is God's best tool in your life to make you more like Christ, sometimes very painfully. The divorce is not to be seen as an option. That we must eliminate that word from our consideration when it comes to our marriages. There are a lot of words we take out of our vocabulary because we decide we're not going to use them. Divorce is one of them in the context of marriage. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. And also in verse 6, what we see is that marriage is a bond not to be broken. Let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Malachi 2.15 says, Did he not make them one? With a portion of the Spirit? with them let no one separate as i mentioned before i say those words at the end of every marriage ceremony that i officiate and and i do so because they are jesus's words and they are binding because they are jesus's words and they are to be taken seriously because they're jesus words that we're not to sever what god unites when i was much younger i i would be sitting at a wedding and i would hear the pastor say those words And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, a third party shouldn't come in and drive a wedge between this couple. And it wasn't until I was was older that I realized that that these words are first and foremost spoken to the husband and the wife. That they are not to break their covenant. They are not to dissolve their union. You see, in Christian marriage, you will either help your spouse grow or you will be a parasite in their life. You will either love them or you will be a leech that sucks the life out of them. You will have mutual partnership or you will live a separated life. Jesus makes it really clear. I love that he makes it so clear that marriage is... Is, is a clear mandate that it was a, it's a relationship rooted in creation. It takes us all the way back to the beginning. And it is a God-ordained unity. They become one because God puts them together. It is a lifelong commitment, a bond not to be broken, that God designed us male and female, and with marriage it is to be a permanent union of one man and one woman for life. There is no room here for a homosexual or lesbian marriage at all. There is no room for polygamy at all. It's one man and one woman in, joining together in a new lasting union. 
And why does Malachi 2.16 say that God hates divorce? By the way, he doesn't hate people who divorce. If you've been divorced, God doesn't hate you. That, that's, a, that's a lie. God loves you. But why would, why would the Bible say that God hates divorce? Because it tears apart what should have been considered permanent. Should have been considered sacred. Untouchable. Well, Jesus gives this answer and the Pharisees now come back with another test question. Here's what they say. And by the way, this test question, verse 7, leads Jesus to more directly talk about divorce, address divorce very clearly. Because verse 7, they say to Jesus, okay then, then why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? They're still trying to justify themselves. They're still trying to find the easy way out here. First they had appealed to tradition. Now they're twisting scripture. The Pharisees are misusing Deuteronomy chapter 24. In fact, go with me there so you see what is being said. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Here's what's being said. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord. See, the idea is that this was not a command to divorce. If, they, if, if, if there was uh, sexual immorality, there was not a demand that you had to divorce, though that's what they were teaching. But what this was was a limitation on remarrying after divorce. That's what it was. And, and they were to, he was to give a certificate or a bill, a writing of divorce. What that was about was to protect the divorced wife. And it was a restriction against just taking divorce lightly and saying, get out of here. It was, a, it, was, it was to hold back divorce for any reason. So what we're going to see here is that Jesus makes it really clear what he thinks about divorce. Really clear. And he sets the record straight. He, he tells it like it is. And, and we must hold to his view. Bible-believing Christians must... Hold to his view, not a self-serving view. What did Jesus say about divorce? Look at verse 8. He said to them, here's why. It was because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, so he takes them right back to the beginning again, it wasn't so. It wasn't that way. Verse 8, he, he says this to them. So he, what he's saying is, not a part of God's design. This is not original Marriage between one man and one woman is original. God's intent was lifelong unity and faithfulness. Divorce is not a part of God's design. Not a part of his original intent. The other thing he says, and we see it in the same verse, is that it's never a morally neutral 
God-ordained plan. That's why you can't do unbiblical divorce and say, well, God gave me a peace about it, and I can do this because now I, I feel good about this decision. God never desires divorce. God never commands divorce. What he desires is mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love between a husband and a wife, no matter what happens between them. So people can say that they can do as they please because they feel a peace about it, but, but think about it with me for a moment. If a person can do that, they can, they can feel a peace about sinning and disobeying God, then they must not be walking very closely with Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Now, the word allowed or permitted is a vastly different idea than commanded. <laughs> So they were saying, well, well, Moses commanded this to happen. No, he didn't. He permitted it to happen. And what it boils it down to is it's never a morally neutral God-ordained choice. It's really a matter of a question of God's authority or yours. Which one are we going to go operate under? The next thing Jesus says, and and we see it again in verse 8, is that divorce is always a byproduct of mankind's sin. Divorce exists because of sin. He says it's because due to hardness of heart. Hard versus soft. Hard versus tender and pliable. Bitter versus sweet. Deteriorated versus whole. Rusted through versus intact. Dry rotted. You get the picture. See, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 was intended to to deter sin, not enable it. Sinful abuse of a marriage partner was a harsh reality then, and it is today. And so Moses instituted a regulation designed to do several things. First of all, it was to protect the sanctity of marriage from being um, something indecent defiling that marriage. Protect the sanctity of marriage. It was also to protect the woman from a husband that might simply want to send her away with with no recourse, no words except get out of here without any cause. And so what it gave her was a document that, that, uh, that gave her status as a legitimately divorced woman. Uh, So there was no misunderstanding as to her status. But this was allowed. It was never God's intention. Jesus arrived on the scene on planet earth at a time when most people had lost all hope of true righteousness. At the right time, God sent forth his son. Why is it important for us to know what God wants? Why, in any area of life, but especially here in divorce, which is so common, why is it important for us to know? It's because God has a timeless story that he is weaving. He has put things together perfectly. He has has answers in his design that answer and meet our deepest longings, our deepest needs, our, our deepest desires. See, he created a a program that fits. He he created a system that fits male and female together. He made them for himself and he made them for one another. They correspond to each other. They fit physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. They fit. And they are to glorify God in their union. As God brings a husband and a wife together in marriage, a man and a woman together in marriage, 
They are to glorify God in their union. But as we all know, the, the, the glory of God was marred due to sin. The fall. And while each of us needs love and companionship and someone to team with and someone to share our, our life with, we are sinful human beings with a bent towards sin. So it creates a problem for things like marriage that God ordained. Now, if God grants, by his grace, you a marriage partner, a, a man receives a woman as his wife, and a wife receives her, a man as her husband. If God grants this in grace, he leads you to each other in his time, in his perfect timing, in his perfect plan, and, and, and you cherish that wife. You cherish that husband. And, and you can't believe that he brought him or her into your life. You're blown away by how good God is. But then you start living life together, and, and one day you realize the love is gone. The feelings of, of mutual direction have eroded, things have deteriorated, things are rusted shut, stuck. Love isn't evident. Animosity is present. Problems. And you see, and you see their many sins and their faults as much greater than your own. You know, in, in over 27 years of ministry, I have never once had a couple come into my office who were considering divorce and say, you know, we are so broken over our sin." And I've never had a, a husband contemplating divorcing his wife that has ever said, I am so broken over my sin that all I can do is throw myself at God's mercy and confess those sins to, to him and to my wife and seek reconciliation. Never had that happen. And the reason why is because these couples that are, that are looking for divorce or hurtling toward divorce they're too busy pointing the finger at how bad their spouse is. Divorce is always a byproduct of someone's sin. Moving on to verse 9, Jesus makes it really clear that you can't divorce just for any reason. Not for any reason. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, which very clearly is prohibited in Scripture. Divorce is not to be for any reason at all that someone makes up. It's to be used sparingly as a last resort when there is a hard-hearted sexual immorality. It's not to be used if you just don't get along. By the way, immorality here in verse 9, it's the word, word porneia. Uh, and there's all sorts of words in our, in our language that we, we get from the root of that word porneia. And it basically encompasses sexual sins of all sorts. And then there's the word adultery, which is a different word, and that's the relationship between a husband, the sexual relationship between a husband and wife being, being entered into with someone who's not your spouse. The idea that Jesus is saying is you can't manufacture a reason to get divorced. 
that no-fault divorce is trampling on God's original intent. The standard set by Jesus, taught by Jesus, is chastity before marriage, fidelity after marriage, and a lifelong commitment to one another with no thought of divorce. That's what Jesus is teaching. And like Moses, Jesus allowed for an exception to protect the, the innocent party, the non-offending partner, and to protect the institution of marriage from being a sham. Jesus gives this exception clause, uh, allowing an innocent person in the divorce to remarry without the stigma of them having committed adultery. So that's it. That's what Jesus says. That's, that's the answer. Those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. Don't divorce. That's what Jesus says. And you have a, an exception but not the rule. But what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Because there are many people who are divorced. There are many people that are divorced and remarried. All of us have been affected by divorce. All of us know people. We're even dealing with people that are either contemplating it or have been through it and, and they're dealing with the pain and the fallout. What do we do? How do we, how do we apply this? How do, what are the implications for us as it regards this teaching of Jesus? What is needed, and how do we get there? Let me give you several, several things that are really implications and really, really things that we need to do. The first is that we need to courageously embrace God's truth. The Pharisees didn't. They, they ignored God's truth, or they twisted it. We need to courageously embrace God's truth. Matthew 18 made it really clear that we are to forgive, and based on Christ's forgiveness, which requires us to trust him, it demands our obedience regardless of our feelings. We're not to ignore or twist scripture. We are to let God's word shape our understanding and our view of how we are to respond to people, including our spouse, even when things have gotten really, really bad between you and your spouse, especially when that happens. The Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up. They were trying to, to trip him up by first disregarding his word, then mishandling his word. And what Jesus is pointing to here is the, his perfect prescribed will and his permitted will as a secondary option to be used sparingly. And option two is due to hardness of heart. But Jesus' teaching here is a major, a major mandate to obey. So we need to courageously embrace that truth, even if it's not popular. But we want to run from the truth, like Jonah. And running from the truth is usually not courageous, it's cowardly. We got to run from sin. We got to be like Joseph, yes. But we got to stay and persevere when we're married. You say, what if my spouse refuses? Well, you can't, you, you should know by now, if you're married, you should know by now, you can't change or force your spouse. But you should always know that change is possible. You should work towards that. And you know how deceptive the human heart can be. You know how that can be. We can get someone to, 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 to a place we, don't, we say we don't want. Divorce. We can get someone to that to get something we really want, freedom. So that they take the blame. Guilt. Because the human heart is deceptive. Divorce dissolves the marriage covenant that illustrates God's unity. So it's not a good thing. And you want to stay close to what God says because... It is the only trustworthy standard, the Word of God. 
So what if you've been divorced? What if you've been divorced and the details are not clean and the details are not in your favor? What do you do? Well, you confess your sins to God. Do what, do what the Bible says. Leave, leave the other person's sins in God's hands. Don't justify your own. Don't condemn them. Forgive them. Honestly admit your part. Come clean. Then move on. If you want to live with a clear conscience, you've got to do that. You've got to go back and retrace your steps. Go back to the scene of the crime, in a manner of speaking, and confess and come clean. Now, if you're married and contemplating divorce, I'll make it really easy on you. Don't. If you're married and you're contemplating divorce and you're not divorced now, don't. You find a way to stay together. You humble yourself. You repent. Isn't that interesting that repentance is always necessary in the Christian life? Now, if you're not married today and you're thinking, I don't even want to get married if this is the way it is, that's exactly what the disciples said. We're going to look at that next week when we, think, when we talk about singleness. Their comeback in verse 10 was, if this is how it is, we're not getting married. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, no, let me redirect you to what you ought to be thinking about here. Don't be afraid. You just trust God and receive his gifts in his time and trust his provision in his time and walk with Christ. You resolve to cherish and celebrate your, your mate when God brings him or her to you. What if you're remarried? What if you've been divorced and you've been remarried? The word is this. Don't break the second, the third, or the fourth marriage. Just stay married. Be faithful in that one. What if you've been harmed by divorce? How do you... How do you navigate life after you've been harmed by divorce? How do you divorce? How do you courageously embrace God's truth? Let's say if you were the, an innocent party, what if you were a child? You didn't want your mom and dad divorced. You didn't want them fighting all the time. You didn't want them separating. You didn't want them, you didn't want your dad to leave. What do you do? In all my years as a children's and families pastor, I saw so many kids over and over again who thought it was their fault. All the time. And I've had parents say, this is the best thing for our kids. Absolutely not. Never a good thing for kids. It harms them more than it helps them. And you might have peace for a while, but your kids get to live with that the rest of their life. Some of you are doing that. Some of you have huge, deep scars over divorce that you didn't create, you didn't ask for, you never wanted. You got to tell yourself the truth. So many people say, my, I, I made my parents split up. They split up because of me. You got to tell yourself the truth. It wasn't your fault. They made their own decisions. You don't have to repeat the same mistakes. You can be healthy in Christ. Jesus can heal what sin tears apart. And God's truth can cleanse and reprogram your mind. How else should we respond? Well, we need to compassionately relate to people. We need to relate to people with compassion, not condemnation. See, these things are from God. So we are walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. But I gotta tell you, appearances aren't always as they seem. We don't know the whole story on everybody. It's so easy. To see what happened to someone and think, well, they're to blame. Or We've got to be gentle with one another. We've got to be very generous with understanding and very stingy with judgment. I have found that blanket statements don't cover everyone and they often don't, hurt, don't help hurting people. 
but balancing grace and truth in love does. I have also found that people who are hurt, hurt other people. Hurt people, hurt people. And we got to be compassionate with one another. See, divorce shatters what God doesn't want broken. We recently moved. And in the process of moving, we had a lot of help from a lot of friends, but some of our possessions were broken. Things like pianos and mirrors and things like this. And almost every time, I said, well, it's just a piano. It's just a mirror, whatever. Just a possession. But there was this one thing that got broken, and I just lost it. It it was this little lamp. It was was this thing I got for like a buck at a garage sale in Tennessee. And I wrapped it up and brought it all back to California. And one of, someone in my family was trying really carefully to put it together. It had this glass lampshade and it it shattered all over the ground and broke. You would have thought that the most important thing in the world had just been ruined. Something that cost me next to nothing. I made the big deal about it. Condemnation, judgment, you did it on purpose, you didn't like it. (laughs) Well, isn't it interesting? You know, divorce... Divorce shatters what God doesn't want broken, but God doesn't turn around and condemn. When it breaks, he doesn't uh, retaliate. He desires restoration. He desires forgiveness. He desires repentance. And his kindness brings about repentance. And then reconciliation can happen. What did did God say? Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one to whom I will look. The one who is humble and contrite in heart and who trembles at my word. Divorce is never God's desire, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Sometimes it is not a sin. But it is always a byproduct of someone's sin. And it's never without consequence. It's never without a cleanup on aisle five. No one's choice, however big or small, ever is, really. But God is bigger than anyone's sin, and His grace is sufficient. His mercy can overcome any damage that sin has done adequate to cover all the sin of those who humbly bow at his feet seeking his righteousness and trading in their filthy rags see the last thing I will just say as the worship team comes back up is really the response is to continually follow Jesus go back to verse 2 what did the big crowds do they followed him and what did Jesus do he healed them you follow Jesus he'll heal you it's not just the, the opposed Those who are opposed to Jesus, though, who battle Christ and battle hardness of heart, Christ followers do too. And they get a brittle heart. And they get an angry heart. And a contentious heart. And they're unwilling to yield. And they're proud. Divorce courts all over this land are filled with proud, arrogant people who want to point the finger at someone else. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that those who have fallen can get back up. Lord, I I, I think about any here who have, anyone hearing these words that may have fallen, and they don't think they can get up. But they can by your grace and in your strength. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. And Lord, we acknowledge that divorce shatters what you don't want broken. We acknowledge that marriage is sacred because it's your idea. But we also thank you that that Jesus can heal anything that has been shattered. 
Because we are, we, every one of us are covenant breakers. Jesus is the one covenant keeper. And we praise you. He's the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life. Because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ we can have hope. We pray in his name.